This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. Today, we're going to talk about what's happening to obesity in the age of new weight loss drugs. Ozempic was developed for people with type 2 diabetes, but many people who took the injectable drug have lost a fair amount of weight. It has become a social media phenomenon for its off-label use as a weight loss drug overseas. Its active ingredient is semi-glutide. It stops you feeling hungry. So basically, it mimics a naturally occurring hormone that controls blood sugar, stimulating the release of insulin when glucose levels are high. It slows down how quickly food leaves a person's stomach, reducing their appetite. There's another brand of semi-glutide called Wegovy. In the United States, the FDA approved this higher-dose version of semaglutide for use as an obesity drug in 2021. And in Singapore, the Health Sciences Authority said it has approved Wegovy. So in this episode, I speak to Dr. Ku Chin Meng, the head and senior consultant at the Division of Endocrinology at the National University Hospital, to find out more about the obesity problem here, why the chronic disease is so hard to tackle, and why semaglutide is a game-changing drug. Hi, Dr. Ku. Thanks for coming on Health Check. Hi, morning, Joyce. So today we're going to talk about obesity, right? So let's start with this question. So tell us, is the obesity problem getting worse in Singapore? Joyce, it's a big problem. In Singapore, I mean, based on the census in 2020, right, we have about 10% of um, the population who are obese and 30% or more, they are actually in the overweight range. But if you plus them together, we have more than 40 plus percent with, you know, weight problems. Now, we, we know that obesity is a chronic disease. Chronic simply means, you know, you can't actually solve it overnight, right? And it's very complex. And there's a high degree of relapse. I think we need to actually understand this as well. So it's a societal problem. Why is obesity so hard to tackle? Obesity is hard to tackle because our body fat as an individual, there is actually a set point, right? So, so there's a physiological, uh, what we call mechanism, right? That will actually defend our body weight, whether we like it or not. So if I'm actually thin or I'm lean, I know my, my body will actually defend my leanness, right? So if I overeat, you know, for some reason, I will actually go back to my set point again. Similarly, for people who are actually overweight or obese, Right? So there is actually a defense mechanism that actually defends against their body weight. So in the event of weight loss, they try to actually lose weight through diet or through physical activities. Right? So the defense mechanism will actually set in to defend the body from weight loss. So these signals prevent further weight loss and also are the reasons why they actually get weight regain uh, very easily after they stop you know, their, their effort. So that's actually the reason why there's actually a very high degree of relapse in people who are actually obese when they actually try to actually lose weight. So with news of Ozempic, you know, having gone viral around the world, right? I mean, there's no way to avoid talking about it. So is this drug the answer to the obesity problem in Singapore? I, I want to believe so, but we must always remember that, you know, Ozempic is a medication um, approved for the treatment of type 2 diabetes mellitus. The medication for weight loss is known as Vigoi, which is actually a higher dose medication similar to Ozempic. So Ozempic is semaglutide. I mean, that's actually the drug name, uh, basically. For the treatment of type 2 diabetes mellitus, semaglutide, you know, 1.0 milligram is actually used for the treatment for people with type 2 diabetes mellitus. But for people who are actually obese, the treatment dose is 2.4 milligram. Right? So based on the indication by HSA, Ozempic is not indicated for patients with obesity in Singapore. It's actually indicated for the treatment of type 2 diabetes mellitus. But of course, if you're obese with type 2 diabetes mellitus, you know, you can actually use Ozempic as a treatment. 
But if you just have obesity and you don't have type 2 diabetes mitosis, at this moment, right, the use of, of Ozempic in this group of uh, individuals, you are depriving those with type 2 diabetes mitosis of the drugs. So now that Wegovy has been approved for obesity, we can actually use that to tackle this obesity issue? Yes, when it comes to Singapore. So actually, back to the question of the drug being the answer to the obesity problem is actually there's light at the end of the tunnel in a way, right? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, okay, you must always remember that, you know, Vigovi will be actually a game changer for people who are actually obese. This is one of the class of drugs that, that is highly effective in terms of weight loss and is very well tolerated. I mean, studies have shown that at the end of one year, those who actually take Vigovi they lose about 16% of the body weight. And many of them actually lose, you know, 20% or more. So if you actually ask me whether this is a game changer, yes, it's going to be a game changer for many people, you know, uh, with, uh, with obese issues. But we must always remember that, you know, as a physician or, or endocrinologist who prescribe the drugs, we must help patients with the expectation from the drugs. We learn from clinical studies that there is actually a wide response with semaglutide or Vigovi. So not everybody loses you know, 16% to 20% of their body weight at the end of one year. Some actually lose about, you know, uh, less than 1%. Some people don't actually lose weight at all. But what is actually reassuring from the clinical studies, about 80 to 90% actually lose 5% of the body weight at the end of one year. So that is actually reassuring from the clinical trial perspective. I see. And what are the side effects of the drug? So there are some contraindications that will not start the medication. The one that we will not start medication are actually those with medullary thyroid carcinoma, those with multiple endocrine neoplasia. Those we actually have to be more careful, those with actually previous history of pancreatitis or those with history of gallstones. Okay, so those are the ones that we have to be more careful. But other than that, you know, the, the side effects uh, associated with this medication are just, you know, mainly gastrointestinal uh, symptoms, nausea, vomiting. Some people develop diarrhea and some had constipation. I see, so not serious in that sense, uh, unless you have contraindications that you can't take the drugs. Exactly, yeah. Are those common conditions? Are not very common. The medullary thyroid carcinoma, the multiple endocrine neoplasias are very uncommon conditions in Singapore and worldwide. But it's just that, you know, you just need to actually take note. If, if you do have patients with those conditions, you can't actually give this group of medication anyway. Those of actually, like, you know, we need to take uh, extra precaution are those with previous history of pancreatitis, right? Uh, and also those with ongoing gallstone disease. We advise people to actually remove the gallstone before you start them on this medication. You know, but with Vigovi, you were saying that the dosage of semaglutide is higher, right? So does that mean that there are stronger side effects? In my practice, I find that, you know, there's actually a, a variability in how people respond to semaglutide. Some may not have uh, experienced the side effects. Some experience it very badly, even at a lower dose. And many actually in the in the middle. So it's like something like a spectrum. Even though if I mention nausea and vomiting, some had it very badly. But as they continue with the medication, these side effects uh, tend to diminish with time. Interesting. I mean, now that you mention it, and it sounds like a game changer, right? So tell us about the cost. And I mean, is it something that is easily accessible? Now, Bigovi is not going to be a highly accessible medication. At least, I know when it comes into Singapore, it's a very expensive medication. It's taken once a week through injection. Uh, I mean, patients can actually learn how to actually inject themselves, but they have to pay out of pocket, right? It, it's not a subsidized drug. I believe that it's going to be in the range of 1000 I mean, if you actually look at the you know the United States of America, these drugs actually cost about 1300 to $2,000 a month. I believe that, you know, the cost of treatment is going to be quite similar in Singapore as well. So it will be cost prohibitive. So simply means that, you know, you may actually take it for a short term, six months to a year, 
But for long term, it might be actually quite difficult to sustain. So I wanted to ask you this because I read online that if you stop taking it, the weight can come back quite easily. That's right. That means that you need to continue taking it, don't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Joyce. As I mentioned in the beginning, that obesity is a very complex disorder, right? And the relapse rate is actually very high. Looking at the, the issues of obesity, I mean, you actually ask, you know, I mean, the environment is a, is a big driver, right? The constant stimuli that we actually get that drives us to eat, whether we need it or not, you know, the stimuli is always there. And then, you know, as the person itself is the eating behaviors, what do you eat? How big the portion, whether do you eat in between snacking and stuff like that? So that's actually eating behavior. And after that, you know, the reason why you eat, there are people who actually, you know, they have stress, right? They are not able to cope. So food is always a comfort. Right? So there are multiple dimensions to why people actually, like, you know, uh, gain weight at the end of the day. Now, what Wigowi does, right, is alter the eating behavior of the person. Right? The moment that you actually inject Wigowi, right, it actually induces a satiety and it reduces the appetite you know, that comes from the brain. Right? So you don't feel like eating, right? So given the food, right, you only eat very minimum and you don't have the appetite to complete the meal. So in that way, you lose weight. So it changes the eating behavior. It doesn't change the stimuli. It doesn't actually change your coping mechanism. That's the reason why when you stop Wigowi, there will be weight regain or weight rebound. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Ku Chin Ming, the Head and Senior Consultant at the Division of Endocrinology at the National University Hospital. So, I mean, the thing with getting on this drug is that you kind of have to be prepared to take it for a long time to control your weight, right? Yeah. So, so either a long time or the way of mitigating this uh, weight rebound is, you know, you have a program, a weight management program that helps patients to change the behavior and also the connection, right? I know that, you know, in long term, when they are empowered and they are able to actually like manage themselves better, then they have less reliance on the medication. So, I mean, we talked about this as a, a drug for obese patients, right? So you need to fulfill certain criteria. That's a BMI of... Yeah, 30 and above. Right, so, so that's actually the criteria for, for obesity. So these are the people that will be, you know, that will actually benefit from the drugs. For those with metabolic condition, right, I mean, you know, if the BMI is 27.5 and above, so they will be eligible for the drug as well. What about those people with a lower BMI, but I mean, I don't know, maybe 24, 25, and they are quite keen to lose weight. I mean, is this um, something that they can use? So when you inject the medication, you know, you can eat, but you actually eat less. But what's actually really important is, you know, if your BMI is actually below 27.5, let's say that's actually the minimum BMI, you know, for the medication. That, that's really a conversation between you and the patient because, you know, what we call the risk and benefit of the medication has to, has to be, you know, discussed uh, between the physician and the patient. You know, you also said that for some people, a small percentage, they may um, not benefit from this drug at all, right? I mean, what are the other treatment options out there then? For those who actually fail lifestyle intervention, right? For those who actually fail, you know, the, the obesity medications, the final result is really uh, obesity surgery, right? So we, we call it bariatric surgery. Uh, bariatric surgery, there are two types which we are doing in Singapore. One is sleeve gastrectomy. The other is uh, the rule and white gastric bypass. Uh, both types of surgery may actually induce uh, weight loss up to 30 to 40%. Again, that depends from individual to individual. 
But the weight loss is actually more permanent and uh, more long-term compared to actually drugs or, or lifestyle intervention. The moment that you lose 10% of your body weight, the body is actually you know, very much healthier than before. Right? So you have reduction in blood pressure, your diabetes is better control, right? you have less pain on your knees, you know, less pain on your back. You know, uh, if you lose more, you know, the risk of actually all the cancers, all the respiratory issues actually disappear, fatty liver disappear. So there, there are a lot of benefits of actually weight loss. So from the societal perspective or financing perspective, the cost of obesity at this moment is very expensive. You know, there, there is actually a need for financial modeling to actually ask what is at the sweet spot of subsidizing people with obesity so that whatever that we actually subsidize today, we actually will prevent future obesity-related metabolic problems. So there's a need for such analysis. That's interesting because Healthier SG is starting soon, right? Yes, uh, the GP will have this with the patient, yes. So at this moment, you know, even though we recognize obesity is a, is a disease, but we don't actually have, uh, you know, a, a mature programs of treatment management for people who are actually obese. La. So, you know, we, we rally the entire country for diabetes mellitus. You know, we actually create an ecosystem for patients with type 2 diabetes mellitus. But for obesity, we know there are resources out there, but we actually need a program that actually tie in, you know, all the resources for people with obesity. Um, earlier, you mentioned all those chronic problems with obesity. Are there other issues with obesity that may not be as serious as what you've just mentioned, but, you know, people should be aware of? So, so probably I'll just mention uh, over here, this is very common in the young females. When there's an excess body weight, whether you're overweight or obese, the females tend to actually get menstrual irregularities, a condition known as a polycystic ovarian syndrome, and this is due to the excess body weight. By losing weight, the menses will resume the regularity. So that's actually very, very important as well. For another group of patients who are actually obese, there might be some underlying causes. Very often, you know, uh, endocrinologists like myself, we are actually referred to investigate, you know, whether there's any secondary causes of obesity in this group of people. The first problem that you mentioned that would affect fertility, right? So actually with Regovi, that's amazing. I mean, when you mentioned the bariatric surgeries, it, can it actually replace that in the future? It's a temporizing matter. I mean, but if you continue to pay for it, it may actually like, you know, delay bariatric surgery for a very long time. Right. right. I mean, Joyce, we must always remember, at the end of the day, right, even with bariatric surgery, five years to 10 years down the road, there are people who regain the weight. So there is actually an initial 30 kilogram weight loss. Five years later, the patient may actually regain five to 10 kilograms. So the total weight loss is actually 20 kilograms at the end of six years or seven years. But if you take Wigovi for six years or seven years, you may maintain a 15 to 20 kilogram weight loss as well. Okay, so there is actually a possibility. Mm, okay, so which is why it's such a game-changing drug in that sense, right? Because you actually don't need such a dramatic operation. Exactly. So Dr. Ku, I mean, on Wigovi, do you see, I mean, in the future when, um, you know, the patents run out, there'll be like generic drugs and then do you see it being something that maybe accessible in the community, you know, being sold at Watson's or Guardian? I, I believe so. But I, I don't think that you may actually find it in Watson or Guardian. I mean, you, you may actually buy it, you know, after you get a prescription from your doctors. But I still believe that, you know, somebody needs to actually access you to actually make sure that you are safe for the drugs, you know, before you are given the drug. Just bear in mind that at this, as of, as of it today, right, uh, all the anti-obesity drugs, you can only get those with doctor's prescription. So what, what about the weight loss products that you can get outside or off the shelf? I mean, how effective are those weight loss teas, weight loss? <laughs> it's all in the mind. <laughs> That's all I can say. So since it's such a 
complex problem, there's a high degree of relapse. I mean, what are your tips? I, I always believe that the medication that we have for, for obesity, okay, I mean, when people actually talk about medication for obesity, they kickstart the process of weight loss, right? We know a, a person will actually determine and they are not able to do so. So the medication they have to kickstart. But to sustain weight loss, to, to reduce the reliance on the medication long term, right? We need to actually do this in a weight management program where the patient will go through lifestyle intervention. The patient will actually go through cognitive behavioral therapy as well, right? We continue to empower the patient, engage with the patient, you know, what is the meaning of healthy living, right? The concept of eat to thrive, you know, eat for the, for the health rather than, you know, eat for the pleasure, I believe that if this happens, then, you know, the patient will be more successful at the end of the day in terms of weight loss, you know, and weight maintenance and less reliance on the medication. So, Dr. Ku, I mean, we're talking about all these drugs for obese patients, right? But how about like, you know, normal people? I mean, you're not obese, you might be slightly overweight and, you know, you're trying to lose some weight to look better. Is this something that they can consider? Try lifestyle therapy <laughs> if the patient wants to actually lose weight. Lifestyle therapy has been shown to help patients to lose 5 to 10% of the body weight, right, in a very determined patient. So you don't really need the drugs to actually, you know, help you to lose weight. I think the drugs is a, is a shortcut. <laughs> yes, which is why it's so attractive. Yeah. So it's actually possible then in the future. Uh, yes, as, as long as the risks and benefits is fully communicated uh, to the patient and fully understood. Yeah. So just to make sure that you are the suitable to take the drug. Exactly, yeah. We should actually see over the next, you know, maybe two to three years arisal and see how the drugs actually change the landscape of obesity and how we actually practice medicine, you know, to treat patients with obesity. I think probably we need to actually reassess ourselves, you know, with the drugs. I mean, many of uh, the medication that we have, the bariatric surgery, you know, they have been with us for, for a long time, at least five to 10 years and some as long as 20 years or 30 years ago. So we know, you know, when we prescribe the drugs, what are the things that we look out for? We go with semaglutide, they are new drugs. They are so-called, you know, the new kids on the block. So, so we really need to monitor, you know, very closely for the side effects before we endorse for long-term therapy. Sadly to say, many of the anti-obesity drugs are taken off market because of the side effects at the end of like five years or three years cycle. So we, we really hope that we don't actually see that with Bicovi or other, other new medications for obesity. I see. But this one, because Ozempic has been used for diabetes patients, there's a greater chance that it will be okay in that sense. Correct, yeah. We have greater experience uh, with people with type 2 diabetes mellitus. But again, the dose that we actually use is very small. It's 1.0 milligram. And some actually use it lower than 1.0. But the treatment for obesity is 2.4 milligram. So that is actually a very high dose of uh, semaglutide. So we must actually watch the space. Uh. But it's still exciting, right, in a sense, a new drug. Of course. As excited as you, Joyce. Yeah. Yes. Thanks very much for your time, Dr. Ku, today. Thank you, Joyce. Thanks for having me today. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.